You may have heard the saying before, I want to be so full of Christ that if, if, that if a mosquito bites me, he goes away singing, there's power in the blood. <laughs> it's a good joke, but don't think about it too hard or good theology will get in the way of a good laugh. Um, I bring that up because we're going to be talking quite a bit about blood today. So fair warning for those of you who are squeamish at the mere mention of the word, you're going to hear it a lot this morning. And we will begin hearing it a lot by looking at our Old Testament lesson, Exodus 24, 3 through 8, and Exodus 29, 15 to 21, which will be found on pages 64 and 68 in the Pew Bibles, and then 123 and 132 in the large print uh, Pew Bibles as well. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. We thank you for all that you have made in the ways that you continually reveal yourself to us, not only through creation, but also uh, in your word. The more we read it, the more we're amazed at what we've missed, the times we've read it before. God, we thank you that you are um, constantly showing yourself to us because you care for us. Lord, we pray that this morning as we hear your word read and proclaimed, that we would have ears to hear, that we would have uh, minds to understand, that we would have hearts to accept your message for us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In Exodus chapter 24, we have uh, the covenant being confirmed. And we start in verse 8. This is after the people have come out of uh, slavery in Egypt, have come uh, to the mountain, Mount Sinai, and then Moses comes to the people. It says, when, starting in verse 3, when Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything, <clears throat> excuse me, everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they, burnt, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And then skipping over to chapter 29, still in the book of Exodus. You see how he then um, consecrates the priests. It may look familiar to what we just saw in 24. Exodus 29, 15-21. Says, take one of the rams, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their heads, their hands on its head, slaughter it, and take the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar. Cut the ram into pieces and wash the internal organs and the legs, putting them with the head and the other pieces. Then burn the entire ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, a food offering presented to the Lord. Take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on its head. 
slaughter it, take some of its blood, and put it on the lobes of the right ears of Aaron and his sons, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. Then splash the blood against the sides of the altar, and take, and take some blood from the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and their garments. Then he and his sons and their garments will be consecrated. To Frankie and to Johnny, who will be ordained and installed later. Aren't you glad we don't do that anymore? <laughs> but we'll talk about why we don't. But again, looking at uh, leadership in the church, Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45, which can be found on page 822 in a few Bibles or 1575 in the large print Bibles. It says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, I said we were going to mention blood a lot. We'll be looking at Hebrews chapter 9 in a little bit. Something has happened between then and now that makes it to where 
it's no longer necessary for us to do that. But at the time, it was necessary. And that's why when we're reading through the Bible, blood shows up all the time. I looked it up. It's over 350 times throughout the Bible that use the word blood. So, is it squeamish? Maybe you know, read your Bible while sitting down? It's a heat rate or something. But it doesn't. It? And there are a lot. With good reason. Um, Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 16. It says, In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Because a will is in force, a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, This is the blood of the covenant, which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There are over 350 times in the Bible to get a whole bunch of them right there. That last line shows why it's there. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. This all goes back to what uh, Paul told us in Romans chapter 6. He says that the wages of sin is death, right? That's what we see in Genesis, the very beginning, the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve turn away from God. They go their own way instead of his way. And from then on we have death. The same way that when you work your job, you get a paycheck because that's what you have earned. The same way when we turn away from God, we get death because that's what we have earned. The wage of sin is death. And all these times when we see blood going on, there's some people say, yeah, we don't even want to look at that at all. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to deal with it. On the other side, flip side, there are those who get sort of uh, superstitious about it. Like there's something in the blood itself that uh, that somehow makes the forgiveness happen. And so dealing with blood uh, in more of a superstitious way. But as you read through the Bible, blood is always in connection with death. That's why it's there. As this uh, evidence of the death. You know, today we have, you know, we can go donate blood and we'll take a pint of blood and then you walk out and you're still healthy and fine. But when they're, uh, when they're out there splashing blood on the altar and consecrating the priest and the tabernacle, they didn't have like the mobile blood unit sitting out there where they go by and donate blood so they could do all these things. It's always in connection with death. Something had to die in order for this to take place. And that's what was really going on, is that it was the death of whatever died that was now covering over it. And this goes throughout Israel's history. This is not an easy thing to skip over. If you don't like the blood stuff, you have a hard time reading your Bible because it just keeps coming back again and again. And you have uh, the people of Israel, when they're being brought out of slavery in Egypt, Remember the first Passover? Why it's called Passover? They had to take the blood of a perfect lamb 
magic blood? No, it's not magic blood. Thank you. <laughs> Glad we're tracking. Um, this was not magic blood that then somehow would you know, keep death away. The reason that when people put the blood over the door, that their, old, their firstborn son didn't die, is because something else had already died in the place. That's what the blood meant, that something else had already died. And when we see this happening again and again throughout, um, throughout the Old Testament, it's always something has died. That's where this blood comes from. This is the evidence of the death that had to take place. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness because the wages of sin is death. The death that covers over the sin. So, then we have all this weird stuff about splashing blood on the altar, splashing, sprinkling blood on the people. And then this really weird thing about putting blood on the right earlobe of the priest and on their right thumb, the thumb of the right hand, and on the uh, big toe of their right foot. one of those times where you say, okay, God, I know that you know what you're doing, and when you say this, you must have a reason for it, but uh, that does seem a little weird. However, people smarter than me have figured out. <laughs> I did know what he, God did know what he was doing. This was for a reason, and it does have to do with that. The same reason that the people are sprinkled with blood. You remember when Moses reads them the, all the commandments? And they all say with one voice, we will do all the Lord has commanded. No, they won't. No, they won't. And so what is it that they earn for themselves? Death. That's what comes. And so the sprinkling of the blood is a way of covering over the sins of the people that they are committing. When you have the blood splashed on the altar, it's the death that covers over the sins of the people. And all through. So what about the priests? Why the, why the earlobe and the thumb of the right hand and the big toe? Still symbolizes death. But it's that death itself that we talk about. Where they are being consecrated, they are being set apart. These are people who are no longer to live for themselves, but they are to live in service of God and his people. And so they put the blood on their ears because their ears now die themselves. They're no longer going to listen to the things they want to listen to and listen to the lies of the world, but they're going to be listening to the voice of God. You put the blood on the thumb of the right hand because they're no longer going to do the things that they want to do for themselves and on their own, but they're not going to do the work of the Lord, the ministry to him and his people. And they're going to put the blood on the big toe of the right foot because they're going to die for themselves in going where they want to go and doing what they want to do. They're going to go where it is that God directs them to go and serve don't do that anymore. We don't put these blood things all over the place. We don't splash blood all around. And we don't sprinkle blood on the altar. We did. may not come back next week. But the reason we don't do that is not because now we know better, now we're smarter. That's not it. And if anybody starts talking like that, ask them, ask them a little follow-up question. Well, what is it we know better now? What is it that they didn't know then that we know now? And it hasn't anything to do other than Jesus. 
because, continue, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands, it was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all, the culmination of the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once after that face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. The reason that we don't still sprinkle blood everywhere is because Jesus, in the Last Supper, took the cup and said, this cup, the cup of the new covenant, poured out in my blood. Because Jesus became the sacrifice once for all. We don't need to continue sacrificing animals. Jesus has done it once for all. Same way that it said, do you remember last week we showed the, the picture of the tabernacle and what that looked like? We weren't here on the chalkboard. There's the, the tabernacle, big rectangle, and there's a door, the gate on one side, and as you continue getting in, you get closer and closer to the symbolic presence of God. The most holy place, the holy of holies. And only the high priest could go in and only once a year. And he would go in and sprinkle blood around and he would come back out. But he had to go in again to do it again. To come back out. He had to go in and do it again. Why? Because these are sacrifices of animals. He's going in with blood that was not his own, as it says. And it couldn't really deal with the problem of sin. All it could do was temporarily cover over the penalty for the people and point forward to the sacrifice that was coming that would deal with it completely. And so it says Jesus has entered into the presence of God, not in the tabernacle on earth, but in the true heaven, into the very presence of the living God. And he has done so for us. <coughs> but just as the priest would kind of disappear behind that curtain and then come back out and appear again, but then would have to go back in later to do it again. So Jesus has disappeared for a time because he's in the presence of God, but he will appear again. But when he appears again, it's not because, well, now we've got another sacrifice for sin. No. It says he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. The sacrifice has already been made. The forgiveness has already happened. But we're still waiting for that complete salvation in this sense. Talk about how uh, we are saved already from the penalty of sin. We are being saved now from the power of sin in our lives, but one day we will be saved even from the presence of sin at all. And that doesn't mean just the presence of sin in the broken world around us. That even means the presence of sin in the broken world inside us. And so when we read Romans chapter 6, <clears throat> 6, 7, somewhere in there, and he says, says that 
you know, the, that which I don't want to do, I just keep on doing. And that which I do want to do, I'm, I'm not doing at all. You know, who can save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, Jesus Christ. And so we long to meet Jesus face to face. We wait for him like a battle-weary soldier longing to come home. We wait for him like a patient dealing with cancer longs to hear the doctor say, it's gone. It's gone. We wait for him like the people who have been redeemed wait to meet their Savior face to face and to say, thank you. sit around twiddling our thumbs and waiting for that day to come. If we have been saved from, we've also been saved for. We've been saved from sin and its destructive effects in our lives. We've also been saved for a purpose. That God has prepared things for us to do even here and now. And as we continue through the book of Hebrews, we'll see more of that. But even now, I begin with what we see symbolically sprinkling of the people. We see the blood on the ear and the hands and the toe. We have been um, covered with the blood of Jesus. We have died to sin. We have died to self. And now we live in Christ. And we live for Him. To serve Him, to minister to Him and His people. All over. <coughs> Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.